AutoZone stock is performing extremely well with lots of cash flow. We're gonna buy the stock today and hold it for 10 years and I'm gonna show you why it's gonna outperform the market during that time. You ready? Let's get to work. Hello, welcome to Rational Investing. My name is Cameron Stewart, CFA. Thank you for watching Rational Investing, where we take a deep dive into the hard cash flow of a business and we try to look at a business and figure out how much is this stream of cash flow, cash flow actually worth and how do we pay a reasonable amount of money for that to hopefully beat the stock market. Now we do that by focusing on five key attributes as the foundation or the beginning of further due diligence and we host uh, a cash flow club online at cashflowinvestingpro.com where our analysts publish their thoughts and they opine on stocks. This week's stock is AutoZone. Now let's review the five key factors that we look for in any stock to begin due diligence. Number one, you gotta have top line revenue growth. Number two, earnings growth. Number three, strong free cash flow. Number four, low debt. And number five, you want a well-priced stock. Now a well-priced stock, in our opinion, is a stock where you make a conservative growth forecast, something you think the company can easily beat. And then you wait for the stock price to come down to where that expected return is gonna beat the market. That's what we do. We lay out the best stocks that we believe are the, 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 the ones to hold long-term and we wait, the stock, wait for the stock market to come to us. All right, let's take a deep dive then into AutoZone for a second. So D Diogo, one of our analysts, does a great job here breaking down some of the macroeconomic trends underlying this kind of used car um, uh, uh, replacement part uh, economics. And what you're going to see here, if we pull up some of this, um, you know, the Fed data, is you're going to see total vehicle mileage has recovered to almost pre-pandemic level and it continues to grow. Uh, I can testify in Los Angeles where I'm based, uh, traffic is definitely back and a lot of people are on the road driving. The next thing we look at is just the used car price itself. You can see used car spike prices spiked during the pandemic and they remain elevated. So I think you have a couple things here. You've got uh, a higher value for your vehicle. So you're going to try to maintain that vehicle. It's more expensive to go buy another one. You're going to buy the parts and replace it. Number two, you're driving more. So you're going to be changing out those parts or parts are going to be wearing out. And lastly, in general, uh, the cost of living is up. And I think the, especially the financing cost for financing a new car is much higher than it used to be. And that's going to make people have to live with a car that's a little older. They're going to have to put a little more maintenance back into it. So I think repair places uh, that are both doing the repair maintenance for automobiles as well as part suppliers are going to be kind of in vogue for the next uh, you know, for the decade or so for the foreseeable future. The next thing we do is we break down several charts in the cash flow club and I'm I'm in the cash flow club right now kind of scrolling through some of the analysis that Diogo has put through uh, but I do want to see one thing he does the adjusted free cash flow over time and you can see just the long-term trend of this cash flow is north it came down obviously with the pandemic there's a monster monster spike there for cash flow but at two billion dollars of annual free cash flow it's a lot of free cash flow the trick is how much you paying for the enterprise price value for this cash flow. If you can buy this stream at a reasonable price, that might be a great deal. So let's dive into the one pager for AutoZone. All right, here's the one pager for AutoZone. Now, if you're unfamiliar what a one pager is, it's a one sheet analysis of a stock that we use to summarize 10 years of performance. We then use the 10 years of performance uh, to kind of 
give an expectation of what the future looks like, understanding that the future is unknown. So we try to make a very conservative forecast. And if that forecast beats, is expected to beat the market out 10 years, it's a, um, it's a possible starting point for uh, more due diligence. So this is what they look like. You've got cash flow sections and shareholder uh, per share data up top. You've got revenue, EBITDA, enterprise value down in the middle of actuals. Then you've got a forecast here and an EBITDA uh, and, and an IRR that we expect. In this case, we're expecting 10% annual return for this stock over the next decade. Let's go through some of these numbers. I'm going to point out a couple key factors here that I think are very interesting. Okay, for starters, we're going to review the revenue and EBITDA for AutoZone. Now, what is EBITDA? Enterprise level earnings, earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, and amortization is a proxy for free cash flow. Not a great one, but it's based on purely the income statement. It ignores, obviously, depreciation, amortization, taxes, uh, interest expense. It also does not have some of the things like CapEx, working capital changes that are in the free cash flow number, which tends to be much more volatile. So EBITDA is used in the industry to kind of like normalize, if you will, earnings and what that looks like. And it's Look, it's a proxy, not a great one, but it's, it's good for us to, 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 for relative value. We can take this EBITDA and we can compare it to historical EBITDAs and figure out is it higher or lower than trend. Revenue, $9.4 billion in 2014. So a decade ago, uh, AutoZone was doing $9.4, $9.5 billion in revenue. And that has grown every single year for a decade. First off, my hat is off to the team at AutoZone for being able to do that. That alone is a tremendous feat. So 2014 to 2023, I'm going to rattle these off quickly. 9.5, 10.2, 10.6, 10.9, 11.2, 11.8, 12.6, 14.6, 16.2, and $17.5 billion of revenue last year. That is an average consolidated average growth rate of 7% annually over the, next, uh, the, the, the last decade. Great job for a high single digit steady state revenue growth. And I think that's based on underlying economics that people are driving more miles despite the pandemic drop, uh, that, that, that it is expensive to buy cars and it's, you're better off uh, maintaining the one you have. Now, EBITDA, enterprise level earnings, the same trend here. So it, it grew at average rate of 7% annually equaling revenue. So that means margins are constant. That means your EBITDA earnings are growing with revenue. So they went from $2 billion to $4 billion, essentially, doubling in profitability over the decade on great revenue. Congratulations, team. These are very impressive, impressive numbers. If we look at the debt stack, you want to see $4.3 billion to $7.7 billion, $7 billion over that time frame. That is also a 7% annual growth rate. So gr growth of debt is staying in line with earnings. Tremendous, tremendous performance from the CFO and the finance team for keeping that in check and not allowing debt in the low interest rate environment to balloon up to buy back shares. That's what a lot of companies did. They have over leveraged their balance sheets. And now the interest rates are climbing and should continue to climb. They're going to have to divert lots of free cash flow to pay down the debt uh, to kind of, uh, yeah, to, to, to pay for what was borrowed, the future payments. AutoZone, it looks like, did not do that. Uh, great job, team. I will say that we have removed from this about $3 billion of capital leases. AutoZone is mostly a retail, a multi-location retail play. So they sign long-term contracts for their rental agreements. GAP requires you to capitalize those rental agreements as a capital lease obligation, which is roughly 
$3 billion, but we're not including that here. This is just looking at strictly bank debt. If we look at market cap, market cap is average shares outstanding times price. So you multiply those two, you get the total equity value of a company. And that is what trades in the stock market. The debt does not trade in the stock market. The enterprise value, which is the debt and the market cap is not traded. The stock market only focuses on this column. That has gone from $18 billion to $47 billion or 11% annual return be in the stock market for the last decade. Great job. We're going to look at this number here, enterprise value, 22 billion to 54 billion. Now this is very close to the market cap of it's about what's well, just the debt, $8 billion higher because of the debt. Uh, th this company, AutoZone, doesn't appear to have a lot of leverage, which is great. Other companies do. So you always want to take a look at the enterprise value of a company, not just the market cap. Now what we want to do is there's two metrics we want to look at. You want to look at a relative debt uh, measure. So debt to EBITDA, how, many, how much debt do they have and how many years of annual earnings would it take them to pay down the debt? You want less than three times debt. AutoZone has had less than three times debt for this entire decade and it's falling over time slightly, 2.1 to 2%. So that's great leverage. Why three times leverage? Banks, JP Morgan, uh, Citigroup, uh, Wells Fargo, the, the big boys, they will lend three times EBITDA on a company on a senior loan. If you get beyond three, four, five, six, seven, you become into junior capital or mezzanine debt, which has a higher interest rate and has much uh, stronger covenants to take control of the company if things go sideways. Whereas this is kind of like mortgage debt, which is still an obligation to pay, but it has friendlier terms and is much uh, less risky, if you will. Enterprise value EBITDA, this is a relative value metric and it looks like this thing trades enterprise value divided by EBITDA, the number of years of earnings that investors are willing to pay forward for this stock, looks like it hovers at a high of 14 times and a low, of, well, eight and a half is probably too low. It's probably in the 10 range. So you're looking at some sort of 14 to 10 range for the stock, which is pretty narrow and in my opinion, cheap for a long time, a company that's growing revenue earnings at upper single digits for multiple years, in my opinion, deserves a slightly higher number than this. Um, uh, there are many other companies that trade right now for 20, 30 times. We'll see some in the future videos uh, that are not, that don't have this kind of growth. Like if you look at, um, oh, what Clorox or um, Coca-Cola as an example, these companies do not grow, but they have, tr they have, they have uh, market multiples substantially higher than this. So that's basically, that checks the box for revenue growth, that checks the box for debt, and checks for box for EBITDA growth. Let's take a look at free cash flow, where the rubber meets the road, the actual number that we want to um, judge a company on. So free cash flow here, we're going to take adjusted free cash flow from operations. That's the first third of the, of, the of the cash flow statement. If you recall the cash flow statement for a second, it has three sections. Section one, the cash flow from operations. That is the hard jack that the company makes by running their business. In this case, selling auto parts. How much cash came in the door from running the business? Then the middle section, cash flow from investing. How did they invest that cash flow? How much CapEx did they put back in? Did they make any acquisitions? That kind of thing. The final section, the bottom third, is the cash flow from financing. 
Did they issue stock? Did they buy back stock? Did they pay a dividend? Did they issue debt? Did they pay back debt? That's basically the five that you're going to see down there. So we're going to pick up with adjusted free cash flow operation. And it went from $1.3 billion to $2.8 billion. That's a 9% annual growth rate, slightly faster than the EBITDA. CapEx, uh, $450 million to almost $800 million. That's a 7% growth rate, which is absolutely in line with the earnings growth rate and the debt growth rate. So this business is actually very on point. They are growing their reinvestment rate at the same rate their earnings are growing. And they're financing that in a consistent manner because they're all growing in the same direction. That means leverage is not getting out of hand. It's not getting above, uh, it's not getting ahead of earnings. It's not getting ahead of cash generation. Very good discipline from, in my opinion, the finance team. Uh, debt payments here, you can see the ins and outflows of debt payment. This is not interest, this is principal payment. And because their debt leverage ratio stayed flat over the last decade, you're seeing kind of ins and outs over time, whether the positive and negatives, they cancel each other out. If I go over to then uh, free cash flow to equity, this is what the stock is valued on or should be valued because ultimately as an equity investor, this is what you uh, own. This is this is your cash flow. If you owned 100% of the business, you would say, cut me a check for $2 billion, $51 million today. Uh, and the business would not uh, hiccup one bit. They could completely afford to light that money on fire and it would not jeopardize the future operations of the business. That's what free cash flow means. It's completely free, unencumbered, distributable cash that has no bearing on how the business will operate in the future. You know, you can reinvest that cash and grow even faster, which is what you're trying to find a management team that will do. But in the essence of free cash flow is that you could burn it and it uh, wouldn't affect the business going forward. $2 billion. So the question is, how much should we pay for a business that generates $2 billion of cash flow? Well, you can look at a couple more things. We can take a look at the shares outstanding, 34 billion shares to a million shares to 19 million shares. They have been buying back shares at a tune of 6% per year, which is a phenomenal rate to buy back shares at, especially considering that their debt and their leverage has not increased at a fast pace. Again, a lot of companies, uh, certainly before the interest rate rise, were buying, uh, were issuing debt to buy back shares as a false way to boost earnings, a la Coca-Cola. But if you don't do that, you generate free cash flow, you can buy back your shares, compounding your per share earnings growth uh, and not actually have to issue any more debts. Phenomenal. Uh, and you can see the share price was richly rewarded for that, growing at a 19% annual rate over this period of time, which is a kind of a market multiple expansion and earnings growth and share reduction price. So that's phenomenal. So they're sitting about $2,500 a share. You could have picked this thing up for $500 uh, a decade ago. That, my friends, is the power of a trifecta, a company that has a market multiple expansion. What I mean by that? Right here. Enterprise value to EBITDA was less than 11 a decade ago. It's now, it was almost 14. So that means every bit of cash flow it generated when you bought it was worth 10. That same cash flow is now worth 14. That expansion of 40% is a big number uh, that, it, that, that boosts the share price. Also, 
the uh, earnings per earnings have grown. So EBITDA during that period went from two billion to four billion, doubling in EBITDA. And on top of that, the share count itself fell from thirty-four million dollars to million shares to nineteen million shares. So those three things compound to create a hockey stick curve, and that's how you get a rapid stock price growth like this on a company that's only doing seven percent a year and is under leveraged. That is a phenomenal company in this humble analyst's opinion, and that's a company you might want to own. Uh, do your own due diligence, seek financial advice. Not This channel is not financial advice. There, disclosure. So well, let's put this into a forecast and figure out what does it actually mean if you kind of run it out for a little bit. So what Diogo has done is he's taking his forecast out forward. He's taking a growth rate that he can pull from the street, what the company's estimated next year, 4.2 billion of earnings. And he's bringing the growth rate down to only 4%, which is basically inflation going forward, slightly higher than inflation right now, which is a conservative growth. So he's, so he earnings doubled the last decade, he's saying it's only going to go up uh, 80%. So not not doubling, not not 100%, but from 4.2 to 6.5 billion dollars. He's going to apply a 12 times market multiple to that. It's currently trading at about 13, so it's a slight market multiple compression. He has his current debt outstanding, he's holding it steady. He gets a market cap of 90 billion dollars. Divide by the shares outstanding of 19 million, he gets $3,670 per share for this stock out 10 years from now. Now, if you do the same thing for free cash flow, right, on a per share basis, I said they had roughly 2 billion or so of free cash flow total. You divide that on a per share basis, that means each share has $126 of pro rata cash money that you are entitled to. It is your cash. Now, the business might not dis dividend it to you, but it's your pro rata ownership of that cash flow. And you follow the same growth curve and that, that cash flow is gonna to grow to just shy of $200 per share. Diogo applied a 6% free cash flow yield to this and he gets a th price target of $3,198 out 10 years. All right, so let's put this into a quick IRR calculation. You can do this at home if you're in Excel. Take this stream of cash flow, Take it, you buy the stock today, you can buy as much stock as you want at $2,500 a share. You get a net stream of cash flow with you selling it at $3,400 roughly a share out 10 years, and you get a 10% annual compounded return on a stock that uh, seems very poised for a good macroeconomic tailwind over the next decade, which 10% is a market, a market return this stock should return the market, maybe even a little bit better if they get a slightly higher growth rate than this what should be a conservative forecast. So that's the, that's the essence of the stock. If we put this over a little distribution curve, so I'll just zoom out a little here, and you can see here's our return right now at $2,500 a share. Should we be in a credit event and the market declines and this stock falls and it falls below $2,000 a share, you're looking at a 15% return, 15, 16% annual return every year for a decade. Remember, these numbers are not one year return. They are, you make that money each year for a decade, which is phenomenal. If you take 15% interest compounded for 30 years, put that in your calculator, you'll be a millionaire very, very quickly. So it's important to realize that you don't need a whole lot of return so long as you put find a business that's compounding um, and you let your money sit there for a long, long time. That is what owning stock is 
is about. We are not stock flippers. I have no idea what the stock is going to do today, tomorrow, next year. No idea. In fact, I don't care. What we try to look for is what business do you want to own as an owner? And if you walk into AutoZone and you own stock and you see uh, a rag on the floor, I hope you pick it up and put it in the trash. Help the business run because you're a partner in the business. You are not just owning a, a, a ticker on the screen. You are a partner and an investor in a business that's supposed to grow its earnings and grow your wealth. Let's recap our review of AutoZone. We're going to take the five key attributes and let's see what we get back. Number one, revenue growth. Yes, check the box. It was growing at 7%. Number two, earnings growth. Yeah, 7% growth. Check that one. Strong free cash flow. Absolutely. This continues to grow. It's even growing faster than, uh, than, than earnings. Low debt. Yeah, two times EBITDA is a low debt number. And a well-priced stock. Yes, it is well-priced. It's going to return market on a conservative forecast. It might even beat it. So definitely check out uh, for your own analysis and further due diligence, AutoZone. Uh, I would encourage you to check out my website, cashflowinvestingpro.com, where you can download a free one-pager if you want to see what these look like. I'll get you one in color. If you, if you can see, you want to see what one of these look like up, in, up close, uh, it's got a lot of powerful information. And the way I use them is I collect them, kind of like baseball cards, if you did that back in the day. And I will collect the, my favorite companies and that, I, that I really, really want to own. And I wait for the stock price to come down to where this IRR makes sense. That's how I create a portfolio. That's how I run my money. Um, consider doing the same, whatever, whatever you like to do. You can also on that website, take my free, uh, my, my course, excuse me. It is a, I'll teach you how to do this. So I am a CFO by profession. I currently run an organization uh, backed by private equity. And, uh, and I, I, I wrote a course during the pandemic. I put it up online and I've had a lot of people take the course to learn how to be a financial analyst, uh, learn how to do their own work behind um, behind their investments. Because if you just read uh, you know, a, a, um, a forecast from Bank of America, for example, and they say the stock price is going to go up 20%, you don't know what the underlying assumptions are under that um, forecast. So you, might, you might really disagree with them. They might be ludicrous. I've seen some amazing forecasts come out of people like Goldman Sachs that I look at and I think this is retarded. But they have special interests. They have reasons to do forecasts that might not be above board. So you want to learn to do your own analysis. And that's what we try to do. That's what I teach in the course. I walk you through how to generate, how to calculate revenue and EBITDA, what debt to include, because you're not pulling total liabilities. You're pulling specific line items of debt. How to, how to deal with stock splits and reverse splits. Uh, how to forecast what a free cash flow yield is, what a market multiple is. I give you kind of a a very basic foundation of what is finance and how to treat money, uh, which a lot of people have really been thankful for. So I highly recommend you check out the course at cashflowinvestingpro.com. You can also sign up for the free one pager there, join my email list, uh, and, and join the Cashflow Club where you get access to these reports such as Diogo, which has done a phenomenal job with AutoZone. All right, thank you very much. This is Rational Investing with Cameron Stewart, CFA. I appreciate the time. Let me know what comments you have down below. What are the stocks you'd like to see? I'm happy to take recommendations and we can, we can find the next big, uh, big stock. All right, take care. Bye-bye.